I'm Asan, and this is the Friday Show Champions League Draw Reaction Special. I've got Steve Tudor, and we're going to take a look at our mental April, and also talk about whether he still believes in the quadruple. Afternoon, Steve. Afternoon, how are you? I'm pretty good, how are you? I'm fine and dandy, mate. I'm um, ahead of a Champions League draw. I was kind of fearing getting an English side, Um but then when I looked into it, I was also fearing getting Barcelona, of course, and Juventus, uh, Ajax as well. Um, and I think it, it's been, too much has been made of the fact that Porto are the supposed weakest links uh, of this tournament. So then I just came to the conclusion that it's, it's a Champions League quarterfinal. Whoever we got was going to be extremely hard. Um, and in that context, given our you know fairly decent record against Spurs, I'd take Spurs any day. Yeah, we'll talk about it a little bit more later, but yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, but before we begin, you've got a quick opening question, haven't you, which is kind of related to the title race. Yeah, it's something I'm halfway through writing now. Uh, it'll be up on Football Fancast in the days to come. Um, I've just come to the kind of uh, realisation recently that presently Liverpool and Manchester City are experiencing, in their own different ways, their greatest of days um, an incredible, exciting journey that they're both on, um, and you know every reason to be cheerful. And yet, I feel that um, City fans and Liverpool fans, in their own different ways, are increasingly downbeat and kind of um, suspicious and negative, whatever kind of words you want to use, really. Um, and you know, it, when, when you explore it further. Of course, you, you see the reasons for this. And, you know, speaking as a City fan, I've been downbeat and, and you know, negative and kind of suspicious mm. myself. Um, but it just then occurs to me that when you look back at the dominance of Manchester United over two decades, and I'd include Arsenal in that, and you look back at how the fans were during that time, there was a confidence, uh, there was an arrogance um, and when you strip that arrogance away, because that's never something that City fans or Liverpool fans would ever want to replicate, what you'd have there from United and Arsenal was a bedrock of self-assuredness. And I don't think that City fans or Liverpool fans currently have that self-assuredness. Um, so kind of exploring the reasons for that, I found quite interesting. Uh, I was, I was, so I was wondering on your take on that. Hmm. I mean... I do kind of agree with it. I, I do think that when I look at, um, I think that there's, it's different for the two clubs. That's the first thing. I think looking at it, I'm going to start with City's point of view. I think from City's point of view, I think there is a lot of negativity. The negativity uh, and the suspicion which surrounds the governing bodies and UEFA, FIFA, FFP, the media, the way that we're treated, the way that we're dealt with. Um, I completely understand that. I, yeah. I, I genuinely do. Um, what Where I'm probably different to a lot of blues is that uh on the pitch i think you know we've this is the greatest moment i've lived as a city supporter and this season is uh, along with last season is almost untouchable in in what we're doing on the pitch in the way that we play and the goals that we score and all that sort of stuff um and i'm a little surprised and i have been 
consistently this season since we fell behind Liverpool back in November, December at the negativity that has surrounded what people think we can achieve. I think a lot has been spoken about with regards to mentality and character within our side, which I think is completely unfair. And I've said it many times. Um, I think that, you know, looking even to this morning and the Champions League draw and the immediate panic of, well, look at the fixtures in April. We're never going to win the league. And it's just a little bit like my point of view is no, 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 no. We've got the best squad in the league and we've got the best manager in the league and we've got the best collection, the, the best collective as a team in the league. We have nothing to fear, never mind in the Premier League, in the whole of the world when it comes to club football. There's not a lot that we really need to fear. I mean, of course, Fixture pileups can cause a little bit of apprehension, but that apprehension should be backed up with the knowledge that, you know, we are a better team than Spurs and whether we play them once, twice, three times or six times, yeah, we should be able to beat them if we play to our level. If you look at the run of fixtures around that period as well, it's like, yeah, okay, you can look at it and you go, yeah, you got to go away to Old Trafford. But, you know, again, Manchester United are a team who were in disarray for much of this season. I mean... I can, again, keep coming back to this idea. Yes, lots of fixtures. Yes, lots of fixtures bring tiredness and anything can happen. But we should be more confident than anybody else. Yeah. Flipping it and looking at it from Liverpool's point of view, I understand why they're apprehensive. I understand why they're negative. The reality is their squad isn't as good as ours. Their manager isn't as good as ours. And they're behind us in the league. And whether you say it's one point or 10 points, they're still behind us. That means our destiny is still within our hands and that they know that and they feel that and they fear it and again you know we might not think much of putting seven past Schalke but believe me for everybody who's watching deep down inside they that, that puts the fear of God in them sure. that puts the fear of God in Liverpool you know the, the reality is they were afraid of us getting an easy Champions League draw because they look at the quality that they have and they they want us to be as handicapped as we possibly can be to give them the best possible chance of having a chance at winning the title so no I mean I'm, maybe it's uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't feel like I'm a happy clapper, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm pretty negative when I think that things aren't right at the club or on the pitch. But yeah, I, I think of the two sets of supporter bases, for me, we shouldn't be as fearful and as negative as we are because we've got everything in our hands. From Liverpool's side, I can understand why they are. Yeah, I agree with much of that. Um, I would say that the kind of regarding the pessimism, um, you know, we can look at, um, you know, like the defeat to Newcastle and half a City fan base basically wrote off our title hopes, despite the fact that, you know, on two previous occasions, we have clawed back a similar points deficit. So, we, you know, it should be learned behaviour there. Um, but you can balance that out as well by saying, you know, maybe I don't want City fans to go down that route of being like United fans and, and the kind of arrogance within. Um, nor do I think that's ever going to happen, frankly. I think that will always be somewhat pessimistic it's in our nature and, and long may that continue I guess um, but going on to Liverpool I don't just think it's pessimism I completely agree with you that I think inherently they know deep down that they aren't as good as City and so when they, they go a point behind us in the league they, they say right you know it's over we've had a great run you know we're, we're happy to take what we've got we'll go home now you know like on a quiz show um, but what's really surprised me is 
their distrust of the authorities in the same manner that City have distrust of the authorities too. Uh, and a feeling that they're being screwed over. Ahead of a Champions League draw, they were convinced that City were going to get Porto. Convinced. As if UEFA, an organisation that's currently investigating City on FFB <laughs> charges, are, are going to kind of are somehow bedfellows of City and so. the enemy of Liverpool. Um, and we've seen other examples of it too, where, uh, well, you look at the, the, the Sterling goal, the recent Sterling goal in Watford. Um, in and of itself, Liverpool fans were quite correct and le- legitimate to be annoyed at that given their title rivals, but they were saying it as, I can't believe this has happened again, as if City always get the breaks and Liverpool never get the breaks. Now, how much of that is down to them and us being modern football fans living in an environment of constancy, of social media, of, you know, one day? Because the thing is, I think we can blame social media to an, a quite, you know, a fair extent, I think the main thing about it is an aspect of social media, which is the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of social media. That's a thing. Because mm. if you look back at times past with United and Arsenal, um, there'll be a big incident or there'll be a big talking point and it'll be forgotten about by Monday or Tuesday. Whereas on social media now, it's, it's ongoing. It's it's 24-7. Um, so I, I think that, that's at the, the nub of it. Um, but... I don't know. I still find it fascinating that you could look at Liverpool and City experiencing experiencing these greatest of days and both having a brittleness to their psyche amongst the fan base, whereas mm. in times past, Arsenal and United very much had the opposite. I do think you romanticise a little bit um, those two clubs and, and the way that the, the way that things were 10 or 15 years ago. I think the, the lack of social media is the big difference because actually, if you think about how toxic, for example, the Chelsea-Liverpool rivalry got what, during the you know yeah. famous ghost goal period, or you look at the Arsenal United rivalry and you know the battle of the the buffet when somebody threw a pizza. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just like yeah. the, the the I think that the big difference, like you say, is just the kind of relentless nature of um, social media and how it basically amplifies exponentially opinions around the game. And actually, the most ex- extreme opinions get amplified the most. Um, so you do end up in this situation where you you have a view of a supporter base or of a situation based on social media, which is probably a little bit removed from the reality of the situation. Um, but because you're seeing it through the social media prism, you, yeah, I mean, you view it through that prism. You can't, it's hard to then detach yourself and, and try and be objective. Does that make sense? I absolutely agree. I absolutely, but what I keep going back to, um, it was, it was an incident, a couple of, well, it wasn't an incident, uh, a couple of weeks ago in the pub and I was talking to a City fan, a City fan who I happened to go to games with and we were talking about uh, a game that had occurred that day um, and we were moaning and we were complaining and we felt screwed over and we'd won. And a United fan was kind of listening in to that conversation and he was gobsmacked, absolutely gobsmacked. He was like, how, you know, you've won today, you're top of the league you support Manchester City, for God's sake, right now, in your greatest of days, and yet you're both absolutely miserable. And I just got to thinking, how much of that was down to us just being City fans, because that's what we do, and that's what we've always done. And like I say earlier, long may that continue. How much of that is 
just the, the environment in which we live in today and how much of that is legitimate as well. How, you know, do we have legitimate cause to, to kind of hate on the FA and the Premier League and referees and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I, I just found it a fascinating uh, subject to explore anyway. And uh, I haven't got to the nub of it yet. I, I do believe that social media is at the heart of the issue, but I don't think that it explains all. No, it's not the only issue. I don't think I don't think that social media is is the only issue um, because I think the media have a role to play within this as well. I think that you know the media are quite interesting in the way that they talk down to football supporters in general, um, feel almost disgusted by the notion of football supporter tribalism, but then feed that yeah. tribalism relentlessly with the kind of you know abhorrent clickbait that is completely unnecessary. I mean, you know, Matthew Syed's attack pieces on City supporters or, you know, Chris Bascom whipping the Liverpool supporters up into a frenzy over something. I mean, it's just, yeah, I guess that it kind of is what it is and maybe it isn't just social media. Maybe the point is it's just about the internet. Do you know what I mean? The internet just gives us access to way more opinions and way more information than we need sometimes. Yeah, it's it's greatly depressing when you consider that though, isn't it? I mean, and it can also be extended to every other aspect of life. Mm. You know, where basically these days we we complain, you know, we look on the downside, we don't really appreciate just the the fantastic things around us. Um, that's our first port of call is to kind of look at the negative or, or you know, gripes or, um, yeah. Uh, it's, I think that's the nature of being a supporter as well. But yeah. I, look, I, I mean, I, I will say, look, I, I'll, I'll say one thing. Um, one of the things that I'm doing, attempting to do more and more, um, and it works, is... As kind of stupid as this sounds, I just focus on the football. I just, I'm, I'm just a little bit like, okay, all of the noise around football, I can take it or leave it. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm not going to. I think in the last three months, the only thing that I have reacted to um, publicly uh, has been the the fella who works for Liverpool doing that tweet about uh, yeah. the atmosphere uh at the etihad uh early on in the in the Schalke game which i just i found it to be a bit crass in the sense that it was actually a dig at raheem sterling and in the interview that he'd done yeah. a couple of weeks earlier and i think that tony barrett knew what he was doing when he did it so but other than that i mean for me i'm not really bothered people can say what they're like even the i'm like even the, the fifa uefa stuff i'm like whatever you want to do just do it i'm sick of people talking about it i'm sick of reading you know martin ziegler and 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 rob harris and nick harris and all of these bellends just you know going on and on with themselves about what could happen and investigations and investigations on top it's just like yeah just do what you're going to do and get on with it all i want to think about is the football so that's that's where I'm at. If I'm if I'm honest. Yeah, I, I mean, unfortunately, I I have to kind of cover these kind of aspects for for what I do. But uh, I of mean, course. if that, if that wasn't the case, I'd be exactly with you. And I, I know so as well because that's what I've done with Brexit. That's what I've done with politics. I've basically just kind of stepped aside. I've got no int- Well, I, I've got a great deal of interest in it, but 
I don't want to immerse myself in it because it will drive you insane and it achieves absolutely nothing in the long run. It's it's you know self harmful. Uh, there was a letter from um, there was a tweet from John McClure, the singer from Reverend and the Makers yesterday. Seen it, but yeah, absolutely brilliant, wasn't it? He summed it up so well. Um, for those who don't know, he basically said. Um, from now on, I'm stepping away from Twitter. I'm stepping away from the internet. I'm going old school. Here's my PO box. If you'd like to write me a letter, I will. I'll, <laughs> I will re- reply with a letter, and let's keep things nice and, and friendly. Because and and the reasoning he gave was absolutely spot on. He said that all I do on here is argue, and it achieves absolutely nothing ultimately. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, there's a lesson to be learned there. Hopefully, as well. I mean, certainly, like I say, if I didn't do this for a living. I would try and stay clear of Twitter as much as I could because the word you used before is perfect for it. It's it's so toxic these days. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I mean, I I stay away from it as much as I can, but I do this podcast. I have to be aware of what's mm. going on. I'm aware of what's being said. I'm reading it. I'm just doing my level best not to react to it. Um, okay, look, let's talk about the Champions League draw. But before we do that, can I just say one thing really quickly? Mm-hmm. Jurgen Klopp saying, I will be judged by God, not by trophies at Liverpool, is the quote of the season. When did he say this? He said it in the press conference today, I think. But it's what just the f- <laughs> such an unbelievably beautiful, beautiful can, statement. Can you just rep- repeat the, the statement? I will be judged by God. <laughs> Not by trophies at Liverpool. He would be judged by God. And, and <laughs> is he referring to Shankly there? What? Who does he mean by God? I don't, I don't know. But what I, on earth is going on over there? Uh, he's he's uh, yeah, he's struggling a little bit with the pressure. I think is our Kloppo. Anyway, I think so too. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I, I think collectively, um, it's hard for Liverpool. But I, hey. I think it's going to be Billy from Toxtiff and kind of, um, you know, Gary from Hoyton. I think it'll be them who'll ultimately judge him. Um, not, 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 <laughs> not the Lord Almighty. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's begun already, but we'll wait until next season to talk about that. Look, um, Champions League draws happen. Manchester City play Tottenham Hotspur. Hotspur. Yes, bring it on. Yes. So are you happy with that draw? Yeah, I am. It's, it's an exciting draw. This actually ties in exactly with what we were just discussing. Totally. Um, just to bring it back to football, strip away everything else, all these other kind of layers to it. It's Manchester City v Tottenham Hotspur. Quarterfinals of a Champions League. Fantastic. I mean, as a football fan, you know, even forgetting my allegiance, just as a football fan, that is a brilliant pair of fixtures. So, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I'm absolutely overjoyed with it. Um you know, stepping back into my city shoes, uh, I think it's you know a perfectly decent draw. It could have been a lot worse. Um, people are already stating, you know, oh well, yeah, but we've got Juventus in the semis. Well, let's get past Spurs first because it's it's hardly a given. But at the same time, it, it's I don't know. It's a tie that I fancy us in. I, I, I I'm confident. Um, Pep's record against Spurs is really good. I yeah. think this collection of players. Their record against Spurs is really good, not just in terms of results, but in terms of performances as well. I feel as though they've been bullied a few times. I, I think back to when they tried to kick De Bruyne off the park yeah, at the Etihad yeah. last season, and he just went, yeah, okay, I'm just going to run this game now and yeah. took it away from them. Um, I think about the Wembley game, uh, which was after... 
the Champions League exit after we'd lost to United at the Etihad. And there was a sense of, you know, City might win the league, but their season has suddenly kind of fallen apart. And nobody really expected us to get a result at Wembley and confidence was meant to be on the floor and all the rest of it. And we go to Wembley and we utterly dominated and schooled them both individually and collectively again. So I think there's a lot of confidence that can be had from that. I happen to think that um, if you play a domestic rival psychologically, it kind of comes down to who's got the upper hand domestically. So I think from our point of view, any of the domestic uh, ties, even Liverpool, actually would have been all right because ultimately Mm. we're top of the league. We psychologically have damaged all of those teams, even Liverpool this season. The reality is that we took four points off Liverpool and they've not really laid a glove on us this season. Um, So I kind of, you know, like here's an example for you, right? If Real Madrid or Barcelona get Valencia or Sevilla in the Champions League, right? I think they all go, thank you very much. Yeah, and that's what we've, in my opinion, effectively, that's what we've got. Maybe people will argue that um, uh, that they're a bit more like Atleti, but then I would argue that both of those sides, Real and Barcelona, would take Atleti all day long as well. Because it's just, you know, domestically, if you feel you've got a psychological superiority in the in your domestic league, if you get that side in the Champions League, bring it on. Yeah, well, I think tied into that as well is I'm hearing a lot about the possibility of playing the Juventus in the semis and, you know, let's say hypothetically we'd got the Juventus in the quarters. A lot of the discussion would have been about Juventus's superior know-how and you know, their European experience and all the rest of it. Um, I only half buy into that anyway, um, but for what, however valid that, that argument is, then, you know, doesn't that then be in City's favour very much now. Absolutely. City over Spurs, you know, okay, I completely agree with what you're saying about kind of Spurs and how they will view us. Um, But in addition to that, you've got to factor into how well they view the occasion. You know, a Champions League quarterfinal, we're used to that, they're not. Mm. I mean, yeah, I I completely agree. I do think that um, for the confidence and the bullishness, we should also have... Uh, an enormous amount of uh, footballing respects for Spurs and for Pochettino. I don't think that either tie will be a gimme. I think that what we um, win in terms of not having to travel abroad, um, we probably lose in the fact that psychologically it will probably be a bit more intense for both sides because it's a a domestic game. Um, So, I don't know. I mean, it, it's not... I feel confident that we can go through, but it's not Porto and it's not Ajax, who I think would have been, without question, easier ties. And I think that's the context we've got to have. We have to um, we have to respect Spurs and the damage that they potentially can inflict upon us. Um, a question for you, Steve. Looking at the way that Spurs' season is unfolding... What do you think? Do you think? Do you think it's at all possible that they prioritize one competition over the other? And if they prioritize one competition over the other, do you expect Pochettino to prioritize the Champions League 
or finishing in the top four in the Premier League? I think that's a really, really difficult question to answer. And I think, um, more importantly, it's a really, really difficult question to answer for Pochettino um, because the beauty of what's happened at, at Spurs from a City perspective is that if you go back a few weeks, Spurs were in that situation, that kind of hinterland where you could argue that they were in the title race because mm. they were only six you know, or seven points behind the league leaders. You know, mathematically, they were in the title race, but realistically, they were not. Um, now, should we play Spurs in that situation? That would concern me. Whereas now, what they've got is because they've fallen back into the field, they've got a real fight for the Champions League spot on that you know, top four. And so they are in a real stick or twist situation now as regards to they are three opponents away from their greatest ever achievement and furthermore automatic qualification for the Champions League next year or do they kind of focus on you know securing a, a qualification for the Champions League next year and all the revenue that brings in on, you know when you factor in their new stadium and the importance of that revenue um, so it's really really difficult to, to answer and I think it comes down to the mindset of the players um, just as much as it does with Pochettino Um I think we might find a halfway house. Really, would probably mm. be the, the, the solution to 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 it, where they just go for both. Um, they'll go kind of all out for both uh, because we're so close to the end of the season as well. Um, but yeah, it's a really difficult one. Now, where do you where do you fall on it? I think injuries will be um, injuries will dictate how they deal with that because I don't think that their squad is anywhere near deep enough to. I think he'll have to rotate over that period. He's got City in the league in that time as well. Um, so I think that he'll have to do some rotation. It will be interesting to see how and where he does it. I don't necessarily think that he'll play a weakened team in in against City in the Premier League or the Champions League, but I don't know how they cope with... They have to have Champions League football next season, is my oh, yeah. understanding, because of the cost of the stadium. They yeah. have to have it. And I wonder whether, I'm not saying that he would, but I wonder whether Daniel Levy doesn't get involved because I think that Pochettino, yeah, from a a manager's perspective, he'll probably look at it and go, I'm going for the Champions League. Yeah, and and you you could not blame him, absolutely. And and, and And you wouldn't blame him if you wanted to do that. But I imagine that Daniel Levy will have a heck of a lot to say about that because if they fall out of the top four, the financial hit to them next season will be enormous. The hit in terms of recruitment of players they could potentially recruit will be enormous. And also trying to then keep that squad of players together will be so complicated if they've not got Champions League football next season. So I think it's, uh, uh, yeah, I mean... Well, it, it's fascinating as well because whereas the Dan go to Real Madrid and Solskjaer looking, you know, kind of nailed on the next United permanent manager, then the avenues that had opened up for Pochettino to leave in the summer are now closed off. So those reasons you just give for Daniel Levy, you know, wanting top four over Champions League glory, also now apply to Pochettino because the chances are greatly improved that he will stay next season. Absolutely, um, and, and you know he wants to bring in players, and he wants to, you know, he is a team builder, Pochettino. Um, so he wants that just as much as anyone else. Of course he does. So, yeah, that's going to be fascinating, that, isn't it? And, and as you said, they don't have... They have an incredibly strong start in 11. 
Um, we don't have the greatest of squads. No. So how they rotate will be fascinating. Absolutely. And I think, I, I feel as though they're... Um, their issues are issues that I feel we can really exploit because I yeah. think that they will have, I think they've got issues in, in fullback positions. I think they've been poor in fullback areas this season. Uh, Trippy has been really poor, whether it's been off the back of the World Cup or what, but he's had a really poor season. Um, Danny Rose hasn't been great. Yeah. Um, if he tries to do what he did against Dortmund, where he plays uh, Vertonghen, uh, as a almost like as a left wing back and plays with you know Davinson Sanchez, one uh, Foyth and a n other Toby Alderweireld as the as the back three. I mean, if he basically if he goes with that sort of five at the back, I think that's uh, probably not something that's going to be hugely effective against this City side. I think that. From an attacking point of view, we're a little bit too good. I think that they are um, physically, uh, they are uh, very well organised Spurs, but they're not necessarily physically imposing. I think that if you want to play negative, negative like that, and you want to stick, you know, five or seven at the back, um, I think you've also physically then got to be really aggressive and really imposing side. And I just don't think they are that. I think they've got lots of footballers in all positions, even in defence, who want to try and play football. Um, and in a way, I feel as though maybe that's why they've come a little bit unstuck against us under Pep. Um, I feel as though the kind of, the matchup of the two coaches is such that Pochettino always wants to try to play. And by doing that, he tends to put his sides in a position where they will face pressure themselves. So, um, yeah, that's... That's Well, no, I completely agree. I think it was illustrated in that game you uh, referred to earlier, um, where you know they tried to kick De Bruyne off a park, um, and then De Bruyne basically got up. And in one instance, I think he actually was really badly fouled, wasn't he? And just got up and scored an individual goal virtually straight after. Yep. Or, or set up someone. I can't remember which. Um, now, if you're a physically imposing side, if you've got a bit of bastard about you, you don't allow that to happen. Spurs yep. did. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Mm. Um, hey, the other thing I want to talk about a little bit is I actually want to talk about Juventus and Ajax because the other thing is that there is this presumption that I, uh, that Juventus will definitely go mm. through. And I'm a little bit surprised at, at the number of people that are saying that. And I'm also a little bit surprised at a number of people that uh, are kind of... I have to be careful about how I phrase this now, right? So... Cristiano Ronaldo is an incredible footballer. And Cristiano Ronaldo scored three goals against Atletico Madrid. Um, but it was a header and a penalty. And if we're going to talk about what Atleti did, how Atleti and Ajax are different, Atleti had no interest in attacking Juventus. Ajax showed against Real Madrid in both legs that they're just that they're coming after you and they're gonna score goals. And if you look at the attacking players that they've got, the form that they're in, you would expect them to score goals. And then you flip it on its head and you look at Ajax defensively. Well, Juventus want to sign Matthias Dillict. They want to sign they wanted to sign Frankie Dion. I mean it's it's just not a gimme for me. Uh, I I'd love to know how you view 
Also, Juventus have had really... They've been really poor in Serie A this season. It says a lot about the... The, the rubbishness of that league in general that they're so far clear at the top. But regular watchers of Serie A are telling me, one, Juventus have been really poor this season. Two, Allegri's potentially on his way out. So it just, that result and that performance on that night against Atletico Madrid is actually in stark contrast to everything else that their season has really been about. Um, from your point of view, when that draw came out, and now that you know that we play the winner of that in the semi, um, do you think I'm just trying to convince myself that Ajax can do something? Or do you see merit in the argument that I'm putting forward that it seems a bit ridiculous to just completely write them off and go, now nah, Juve are walking it? Both. <laughs> <laughs> really, honestly, equally both. Um, it, it's, it's absolutely farcical to write off any quarterfinal in, in the Champions League and just say, this will happen. Of course, that's not the case. And... You know, if anyone saw Ajax and, and, and the manner in which they took on Real Madrid, we'll, we'll know that to, you know, to be true. Um, but equally, I can't help just siding with the, with, with the cliches and just seeing them to be, well, likely to play out, let's put it that way. This is the worst, Juventus are the worst side for this young Ajax team to come up against. The absolute worst. See, uh, that's really weird because I, I, so just very quickly, what's the difference between Real Madrid and 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 Juventus right now, with the exception of Cristiano Ronaldo? Real Madrid had won the Champions League three years on the bounce, surely yeah. for uh, for a baby Ajax team to have to play the reigning European champions three years on the bounce, it would be considered harder than playing Juventus, no? Yes, but you, you, we're now expecting them to do it twofold and, and you know, to replicate it. And uh, once was amazing, twice is, is now an impossible. And, and furthermore, I mean, I, I accept that completely, but um, Juventus are just a team of bastards, absolute team of bastards. You know, they will prevail. They will find a way to prevail. Um and so we're talking about a different type of know-how. We're not talking about kind of, you know, Real Madrid achieved what they did through, and I know obviously they've got Ramos, but Ramos aside, they, they achieved it through elitism, through excellence. Um, Juventus also just have a touch of, you know, the all the cliches that you attribute to a top-class Italian side. Mm. They have that in abundance. And for... I, I get you know. I'm speaking in cliches here. I'm basically ref, uh, suggesting that Ajax are young and naive and idealistic, and they, they will go to Italy and come unstuck because of that uh, against finale experience of Juventus. But you know these things are cliches for a reason, um, and I could certainly see the possibility of that playing out. Anyway, um, I would love it not to be the case. I would <laughs> love Ajax to, to, to get through. Uh, there's a awful lot to like about this Ajax team and there's an awful lot to like about Ajax for club in general in my opinion um, and for City to get them in the semi-final should they progress past Spurs that would be well I'd be a treat frankly absolutely I, I, I guess part of me also feels a little bit like you know if we manage to traverse Spurs uh, and we find ourselves playing Juventus we could do cruel things to Juventus. I mean, I mean this is the thing. Like, yes, you know, this I'm, is it. Yes, I, I, go on. I, I'm, I, I'm, this is where I, 
maybe um, diverge from a lot of a lot of other blues, not necessarily, but some other blues. In that, from my point of view, I'd fear Barcelona. I feared Barcelona purely for Messi and for the narrative, right? I don't fear Cristiano Ronaldo. If those words come back to bite me, bite me on the bottom. Fair enough. Do you know what I mean? I don't yeah. really believe in jinxes. I've said that once already. Um, but for me, I I look at what this city side do well, and I, I I do kind of fear for Juve in a way because you know the reality is that Juventus is Juve, from what I understand the biggest problem that Juventus have had this season is that Allegri feels that for them to do well in the Champions League they cannot be a reactive team they have to be more proactive and so what he's tried to do is to get them to be a little bit more proactive in Serie A and they just don't like it and don't seem to um, react or, you know, be inspired by this change that Allegri is is trying to bring in. And so they end up in a little bit of a halfway house, which is why they ended up losing 2-0 to Atleti in the first leg. I just, you know, as I say, if it's Juventus, let it be Juventus. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I can... I can take that as a two-legged side. I seen, I saw somebody tweet um, after the draws were done. Oh, Juventus in the uh, Juventus away in the second leg of the semi-final. That's us out already. Yep. It's just a little yep. bit like I'm just a little bit like you know what? With that attitude, you're supporting the wrong club right now, mate. Do you know what I mean? Because we're not that football club anymore. Manchester City have got an incredible squad of players and the best football manager in the world. I can understand respecting the opposition totally. I can understand being like, it will be very challenging to go away to Turin in the second leg of the semi-final if we get there. But to simply, you know, nah, forget it. It's done. I can't I can't abide that. You, really Juventus are petrified that. of getting City. Absolutely petrified. Uh, openly so as well. Yeah, that's. I think that's the flip side to it. Who wants to play Manchester City? Who's looking at that? Who's looking at that Champions League draw today going, please let it be Manchester City? Yeah, I mean, and I, I'm so glad you said that because I've seen that in in kind of the half hour of kind of been on Twitter before the pod and, and after the Champions League draw that I saw that so many times. City fans and you know other fans as well. There was an Everton fan who got in touch with me and, and just said, "Well, you don't stand a chance against Juventus if you get to the semis. Why? Why exactly? Have, have you not seen anything of Manchester City in the last eighteen months?" Oh, two years. Such a weird shout, isn't it? Yeah. It's such an uh, utterly bizarre shout. And, and, you know, what I said then about Ajax, it's it poles apart to, to City, you know? They are in vastly different stages of their development. Um, not to mention, kind of, you know, the different levels that they're at in terms of, you know, collective ability um, and achievement too. So um, I would fancy us against Juve. Um I think a lot of it would depend on our home leg rather than going to Turin. Um, I think, you know, it'd be extremely important to get, uh, to not concede an away goal and, you know, kind of do them over basically at home. Um, mm-hmm. If we do that, then I would absolutely fancy us to kind of go there and, and get a result. Absolutely. And also, you know, just to be quite frank, um, if we had to go to, if we had to go to Turin and win by a clear goal, like, fine. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it's, uh, it, it's a lot of when you get to this stage, 
all that anybody that you could face is going to be challenging. So you're probably better off focusing on yourself and looking at what you're good at and looking at where you sit within the kind of, you know, how your season has gone and the form of your players and the fitness and all that sort of stuff. And let that decide how confident or not confident you are. Um, I think for me, if I look at the the Champions League from a quarterfinal or a semifinal point of view, I think it'll be really important that... Um, we have De Bruyne available. I think we need Kevin yeah. De Bruyne um, yeah, in definitely. those Champions League ties. Um, interestingly enough, I know that I'm going to get a lot of uh, a lot of people going to make a lot of noise when I say this, but I, if Fernandinho misses the Spurs tie, I think I'm all right with that. Do you know what I mean? I'm 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 not looking at Spurs and going Fernandinho absolutely is a must for that tie. I think equally. Um, if we get past Spurs and we get to Juventus, I'm looking at it and I'm going, you know what? I'm, I'm not sure that Ferner is going to be needed against Juventus. I mean, Fer- Ferner is the kind of guy who you definitely need against a super quick, gegen-pressing gang- Liverpool side. Do you know what I mean? A, a team that's all action, mm. all energy, playing at 200 miles an hour. You probably need Fernandinho. Um, but... Uh, for me, I'm sort of looking at the two centre-half positions and Kevin De Bruyne as being utterly crucial to the uh, the Champions League. Do I do Ferner a little bit of a disservice by saying that, do you reckon? Um, not so much when you talk about um, Spurs. I think, you know, if you go into um, Turin, you, you want Fernandinho on your side there. Um, you want that ground covered, but um, and I appreciate what you're saying about the gag and press and etc. But I think the key thing really is just to get him fully fit, get, mm. bring him back at the right pace, um, so we can complete the rest of the season. Um, what we don't need to do, and what we absolutely shouldn't do, is rush Kevin De Bruyne or Fernandinho back um, because they are basically going to be available for the you know the last kind of. Um, two months of a season if they're just phased back in correctly um, we don't need to jeopardise that we don't need to take any chances because you know presently we're, we're playing very very well and we're winning games comfortably yep I'm hoping that well certainly firstly I think that we've shown we can cope without Kev I think yeah. the fact that we're coping without Ferner right now makes me happy because I feel like it will give Pep a little bit more confidence in terms of using Gundo, even when Ferner is fit, to make sure that he's super fresh for certain types of games. And I think my final hope, and this is probably the most um, far-fetched in a way, but I can't completely rule it out, is Mendy. And I wonder whether they've got an eye on the Champions League for Mendy as well. And they're kind of looking at the last six to eight weeks of the season and going, you know what? We tried to bring him back once and he broke down. Let's just really take it super slow this time Mm, and get ourselves into a position where come the the Champions League knockouts and that last four or five weeks of the season, if we feel by then is really raring to go, it's a big, I mean, it'd be a massive, massive, massive boost for this side to have Benjamin Mendy available for that four-week running. As I say, the most far-fetched of all my hopes, (laughs) but um, I, I wouldn't completely rule it out. Because. Can I can I just um sorry mate can I just jump in as well and say because we we touched down on Kevin De Bruyne, um now 
if last season it was Kevin De Bruyne and Mo Salah were the two best players in the Premier League and City fans felt that De Bruyne should have won player of the year, Liverpool fans fought Salah. Now, I think both fan bases could accept though that those two were just at a different level to everyone else. Um, if Liverpool had done what we've done this year without Mo Salah, everyone would be talking about it. It would just be probably it'd be the, the go-to when people started to compliment Liverpool. Now, I think I think City. I want to say something quite contradictory. I think City fans have every right to feel aggrieved that not enough people are mentioning that and it's not being brought up enough in the media. But similarly, I also think that we can't rely on the media and other fans to bring it up. I don't think City fans are mentioning it enough. I what think we fa- should be hammering it out there. We should be telling people every single day that we're missing Kevin De Bruyne and that we've missed him virtually all season. Mm, I mean, I I feel a bit differently about what you've just said there, only in the sense that... Um, I'm quite hard on this squad of players. I've said this before. I think when you build a squad uh, as deep as ours with the with the levels of quality that we have throughout all the positions, it puts you in a position where you sound like a loser if you start moaning about an injury. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, yeah. And so I, I am... I, I agree. We've done it without Kevin. That's a huge positive. I agree that we're... Liverpool doing it without Mo Salah, it'd be, you know, they'd, they'd probably offer them an extra trophy. Do you know what I mean? Probably, you know what? If you win the Premier League, we're actually going to give you two because you did it without Mo and yeah. he's the best player in the world. Um, so I, I can understand why that would be the reaction for Liverpool, but we're not going to get that. And I don't think we should expect that. And I don't think we need that. I think, you know, this actually goes back to the very beginning of this podcast. For me, we should carry ourselves as the best club in England. Simple. We're yeah. better than everybody else in this country right now because of the squad of players that we've got and the manager that we've got. And on that basis alone, it's cool. But, you know, we've shown already our best player can be injured and we'll still go top of the league. So it's uh, it's not arrogance. It's just being... Oh, don't say that. I'm, no, 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 no. It's, I wasn't going to say, I wasn't going to end it the way that you thought I was going to end it. It's about looking at what you have and respecting the quality that you yeah. have. Do you know what I mean? It's not about who's not available. It's about who is available. And I think that this is something that we have obsessed far too much this season in moments. And I've done it, so I'm not, you know, throwing it out to others, but we've obsessed too much about, oh, he's available. Oh, he's not available. Oh, I wish he was available. Come on, look at the players who have stepped in. Look at the games they've played in. Look at the performances that they've they've given us, you know. Man, I should have some, like, I feel like I've been a cheerleader for City today. <laughs> <laughs> Proper feeling positive. Well, I also have to kind of kind of say as well that, you know, it's in, in City's fans' kind of uh, credit that we haven't really brought it up much, have we? I mean, Absolutely. you know, I, there's me saying that perhaps we should. Um, but no, I mean, looking at it from the other point of view, um, we haven't, and that's to our enormous credit, really. And I do love the idea as well of, at some point in the, in the weeks to come, um, rival fans, United, Liverpool, all the rest of them will be watching City and will be 3-0 up um, against someone and they'll be like, oh my God, how good is this City side? They've now reached the semi-final of the Champions League. The quadruple's right there. And then on comes Kevin De Bruyne and they'll be like, oh my God, I forgot they've even got him. <laughs> I, that's going to happen to one person across the country at least. And I, you know, I wish I could be there to see his face when it happens. Just a realisation that you're remembering 
the fact that we've got Kevin De Bruyne and we haven't had him. I, I heard somebody say, um, it's not fair that Manchester City have got Bernardo Silva. He was a reserve for them last season. And he'd be <laughs> the best player at every other club in the Premier League. And I think that is probably a pretty good shout that if Bernardo played for any other club in the Premier oh, yeah, League, yeah. Yeah. he'd be considered the best player in that team. Um, and but he also made more appearances than any other City player last season. So He did. He did. I, I do think it's uh, unfair to call him a reserve in that yeah. sense. But I do t- kind of take the point that basically last season was KDB and, and, and David Silva and Ferner as the midfield three. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, so, but, but I've got to say as well, though, that's why whenever, you know, speaking generally here, when... when Generally, when people kind of say about City, kind of you know, and they're spending and all the rest of it, and, and see it as a negative, well, that's why great clubs reinvest. You know, we we bought Bernardo Silva for this reason. Now, okay, it wasn't for Kevin De Bruyne; it's for David Silva. It was a long-term successor to David Silva, and in the meantime, you know, David would see slightly less game time. Would bring gradually bring Bernardo through to acclimatise to English football. Um, and, you know, hopefully for a period of a couple of seasons, they would play alongside one another too. Um, in the event, it's been Kevin De Bruyne. But that's why clubs reinvest. And that's why when you look at, say, United and their kind of spending strategy in, in recent years of splurging enormous amounts of money on single individuals, but not, you know, it, it's the model that it's a problem there at United. Yeah. And it's yeah. not at City. And again, it's viewed in a negative context by the, the press and by others on, on social media when it shouldn't. It's, you know, if you're going to kind of say that, if you're going to, that, that person is going to say that about Bernardo Silva, then, you know, also take a step back and think, well, actually, maybe it's common sense what they've done. Spot on. I mean, look, I just think we've we've got our recruitment for the most part correct in the last few years. And if you get your recruitment right, then it puts you at a massive advantage because recruitment is inherently um, complicated and, and risky. Okay, mm. listen... Going to wrap this up very quickly by talking about Swansea this weekend in the FA yeah. Cup. Um, are you worried? Are you worried about an upset? To to put it bluntly, um, weirdly no, and I, I don't even want to kind of say that. Um, but if I'm just being honest. Mm. Um, ordinarily, that is the case. Usually, that I am somewhat of a pessimist when it comes to kind of knockout games. Um, but in this instance, I don't know. I just, if it happens, it happens, but I can't see it happening. Um, and with an international break uh, following as well, you'd expect kind of Pep to play a pretty strong side. Um, and I can see us not comfortably going through because it's an FA Cup game, you know, in, at, at Liberty Stadium and they're going to be bang up for it. But if we can silence them and dominate possession early on, um, which has been our MO all season, then, yeah, I, I fancy us to get through. Mm, I, I would go along with that. I mean, they're what, mid-bottom half of the table in the uh, in the championship. Mm. They're, they're in no danger of, of, of getting into the, uh, into the playoffs, but they're a club a little bit in disarray. I, I guess the only real kind of talking point from a Swansea point of view is, did you see Bertrand Salinas' penalty yeah. this week? <laughs> I know it's horrendous. <laughs> so was he trying a palanca? Was he? Was he yeah, trying for to? Sure. Yeah, I think he was uh, trying to do a palanca. And Fedenka, oh, sorry, yeah. wow, poor lad. I saw it on. I saw it on Twitter, and I went, "Oh, he's done something amazing, wicked! I can't wait to watch this." <laughs> and then he does that, and I was just like, "Oh dear." 
Um, Looking at it from City's point of view, though, uh, we have an international break afterwards. Does that answer the team selection question? Yeah, I I believe so. Um, I think that we will go full strength. And I I genuinely, and I've said this before a couple of times on, on the pod, and I really, truly believe this, that what motivates this City side more than anything else and what motivates Pep Guardiola more than anything else is the possibility of achieving the impossible of doing something exceptional. Yep. Last season, when whenever I brought up the possibility of City being invincibles until we defeat it Anfield, um, you know, I got I got all kinds of abuse laid at me, and I was like, no. But Pep is saying this to the players, even though we're only halfway through the season. That's what you know. That's what he uses to eradicate the possibility of complacency when you go away to you know a team you are expected to win or, or whoever. It's lads, we can create history this season, and that's what he's telling them right now. Guaranteed, that's what he's telling them right now. So when you go to Swansea and it's a quarter final of the FA Cup, he's telling them. You know, he's for, for one thing, he's playing his strongest eleven. And he's telling them, this is it. This is the only game that matters right now. Forget about everything else. We have to win this. Um, and it's it's the end game of trying to create history. And it's that old thing, isn't it? You know, if you reach for the sky, you're not going to get the sky, but you're going to get close to it. You know, if you aim for the ceiling, then you're going to stay in your living room. Um, and that's what he uses to kind of motivate his players. So I've got no problem with saying, I think that City can win the quadruple this, this season. And I've got no problem with saying it because my manager is saying it to his players. He's just not saying it publicly. Yeah, I think I think that's all fair enough. Um, I do think there are, I think as much as we can look at the, this weekend and, and the fact that there's an international break and, and uh, view it as, well, strongest team first. Um, I do have a question though. We have a very big squad and we have a lot of really top quality players who don't play very often. Do you expect Guardiola to give any of those guys a game against Swansea? So just to be very blunt, right? Um, can you envisage a situation where Aguero sits down and Jesus plays? Um, I, well, I can envisage a possibility of it happening. I just don't think it will. Okay. Uh, I think it would be Aguero to start. What about yourself? The fact that he's not in the Argentina squad makes me think he's not getting a rest on on Saturday uh, evening. It's Saturday mm. evening that we play. I, I think that Aguero will start again. It makes me feel for Jesus, though. It does. Yeah. I, I would like to see him get given a start. Um, I also... So the next question is, do you see him resting Raheem Sterling? Well, there is a possibility because you know on the you know there's one thing to play your full you know your full strength squad uh, first team sorry but there's another thing entirely about whether it's that's counterintuitive to do that um, and if a player needs to rest then he needs to rest so possibly is the answer to that I think Sane will start um, Mares is again it's actually. To City's benefit to play Mares, I believe. I, I agree. Think he's he's starting to come back into it now. He's starting to find his feet now. Now is the time to play him um, and allow that to happen. Um, because if it does, then we're suddenly going into the latter, you know, the last two months of the season with an extremely full schedule 
um, with a record signing, you know, fully acclimatised to how the city side plays. So, I think we're already there, more or less, to be honest. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut off, mate. We're, we're more as. Yeah, I just think with the squad in general, I think the fact that Leroy, Gabby and Mares in particular have sat out a lot of football. In fact, I'm going to throw Foden in there as well. Not that there's any danger of Pep ever using Foden from the start this season, but still, I'll throw him into that basket. But the fact that these boys have not played a lot of football, I think it's important come, come April. I think that's the other thing that we... I, want, I, I, I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that not only have we got a deep squad, but we've got a deep squad with some players who are pretty fresh right now. Danilo's yeah. not played loads I'm of football this glad season. Glad you said Danilo was going to bring him up, absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I feel very... Um, I look at Gundogan and I feel as though he's playing his best football, the yeah. best football he's played since he arrived at City, and he's doing it from the number six position and he's doing it consistently. I, I just feel that there's a... Um, we're peaking at the right moment. And I think that after this international break is effectively the money time of the whole season. It's like everything that we've hmm. done between the start of, in fact, the start of preseason last summer and full-time whistle at the Swansea game is all for what happens after this international break. Because that's it. Everything gets decided in that in that four or five week period. And I just believe that we have given ourselves an incredible opportunity to, to really do, maybe we won't do all four trophies, but we've given ourselves an incredible opportunity to win the Premier League, to get to the semifinals of the Champions League, to win the FA Cup, or even to get to the final of the FA Cup. I mean, I just think it's all in our hands and I think we're perfectly set up for it. Well, it's, it's a 16-game season after the international break, and that's what Pep will be telling his, his, his squad, you know. This is a mini-season in and of itself, um, and he'll be looking at how fresh his players are and kind of who's peaking at the right time, and, and of course, bringing back De Bruyne, uh, possibly Mendy too, and Fernandinho. Um, so at this point, it's all looking good, um, but, you know, the, the actual ferociousness the relentlessness of the fixtures as they as they come thick and fast is a concern. Shall I, uh, just because I don't think we've actually laid it out, so if you've got them in front of you, do you want to just lay out how April looks now? Right, well, April looks ridiculous is how April looks. Um, let me have a look here. Okay, right, so Cardiff at home. Um, three days later, Spurs away in the Champions League. Crystal Palace away that weekend, followed immediately after that by Spurs again in the Champions League, followed immediately after that by Spurs at home in the league. Um, and the following uh, Wednesday, uh, midweek, we've got Manchester United away, um, and then that weekend we've got Burnley away. Um, that is unbelievable. Now, the big concern for me, Aysan, I mean, you've mentioned about the FA Cup not being that important in the kind of how um, it'll the wear and tear on the squad, etc. The concern for me is if Manchester City played, made it to every final, and if Liverpool made it to every final, mm-hmm. or Champions League, just in their in their instance, then Liverpool, that fourth day of recovery is everything. So you know, if you play on on a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and if you play again on Europa, whatever, that's fine because that fourth day is fine. You can either do a full day's worth of training on that day or play 
uh, you know, competitive fixture on that day, and the player is fully rested because he's had three days in between both fixtures. Mm-hmm. That fourth day should never be, you know, dismissed. It's, it's crucial. City won't have a fourth day from now until the end of the season after the international break if they, they reached every final. Liverpool would have eight fourth day recovery periods. Mate, I don't want to end the podcast with something like that. <laughs> what are you on about? <laughs> I know. Take it all, know. Take on all the joy been... out of my hour long, you know, happy, know. we're going to do the quad podcast. And then I'm we go and sorry. drop that at the end. Hey, bear in mind, I started the pod by talking about how it's all doom and gloom on the internet. And, That's you know, <laughs> very true. You've just given us some internet. Well, no, I'm, I apologise for that, but it's just a dose of realism just of how demanding this is. Now, they can do it. City can do it. They could beat the quad- win the quadruple. I believe it will win the quadruple, but it should not be underestimated that what we're looking at now is uh, it, it's attrition. Yeah, but you know what, mate? I'm going to say something. Right, mm-hmm. City compl- City might not get the fourth day, but City have this. Liverpool have a front three and then nothing. City have a front <laughs> three and then the Wednesday, if they really want, they can play Jesus, Mares, and Leroy. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Similarly, Liverpool's midfield is just... Ugh. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's, there's nothing to it. Do you know what I mean? It's just, I don't know. Like, I, I don't see, they might have those fourth day recovery days, whatever. I just think it's very difficult for Mana, Mane, Salah and Firmino to uh, to play every minute of, ev- of all of those huge games and for it to not affect their performances. We can rotate. We can rest. We can, an hour into a game, if it's not happening, look at the bench and go, oh, should we throw Leroy Sane on? Yeah, all right, let's do that. Well, yeah, and, and of course, the um, the flip side of that is equally as beneficial, of course, as well, where if we're 2-0 up, 3-0 up, um, you know, we do tend to kill off games early. Um, and in that aspect, we're able to rest players, you know, by bringing them off in the 60th minute. So I, I completely agree. It, it, I'm just a bit of do- dose of reality is needed, though, as regards to how demanding April will be in particular, um, and what we're facing in that mini season after the international break. I mean, I'm bang up for it. As we've discussed, the, the squad once we bring back De Bruyne and Fernandinho and possibly Mendy too, we've got the squad to do it. But my God, it's going to be taxing. And <laughs> us as well. I mean, God, we're talking about this from a player's perspective. Imagine, you know, like for, for us, it's going to be demanding. It's going to be relentless. It's going to be like social media has become real life. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try and avoid uh, too much of the madness around the games because there's going to be so many games that we'll just mm. stick to doing the, the podcast themselves and watching the games and maybe yeah. let the social media storm deal with itself. Um, right, Steve, I'm wrapping this up. Um, quick prediction from you. Will we get past Swansea at the weekend? I think it's going to be a 2 0 Nice. I do also think that we will progress. And I do think, though, that the team will be a bit more rotated, maybe, than we expect. Um, right. Rock and roll. Um, Stephen Tudor, thank you very much. Pleasure, mate. To everybody who listened, thank you very much. This was the Friday show Champions League draw reaction special. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back on Sunday or Monday with a review of the Swansea game. Loads more podcasts to come during the international break too. In the meantime, be safe, be well, and as always, up the blues.